Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Most of us probably know, but Deuteronomy is kind of a retelling of everything that's come before it. Um, not so much Leviticus um, and Numbers, but but a little bit. Um, mostly, mostly that which comes before in, in narrative and then is retold through Moshe. Um, Rabbi Klinkfeld and I were just speaking approximately nine minutes ago um, about what we were going to teach on Shabbat this week, and one of the pieces that he that he shared is that uh, Micha Goodman, who maybe some of you have heard of through the Hartman Institute speaks very beautifully to how Deuteronomy is the first Midrash because it's Moshe really expounding upon story in his own way and through his own words. So um, that's a, a depending very, on who you, depending on who you ask, and we can get into that. In a depending few on who you ask. Yeah. In, in terms of like the um, documentary hypothesis and whatnot, it's seen as really its own creation um, from the other four books. So, so yes, depending on who you ask, for sure. It is a very interesting book also in how the stories are told. So you might remember a story and then read it in Deuteronomy and say, wait a second, that's not how I remember that happening. Or there are different words being used here than were used when I first read this. So it's, it, is a def, it is definitely a very, um, a very personal retelling, a very uh, perspective-driven retelling, I will say, um, in terms of our Torah. I agree. Right, Shapiro's been gone enough that he doesn't know what happens next. Do you remember what happens next? Um, You're going to share a little bit you, about the you, you sing a you sing a song. Is yes, that what Raffi, I, is Raffi. you sing a song to Rafi? Is that what no, we do next? I'll do that at the end. All right. Well, Rabbi Shantz and I had a had a ball of a time looking at this parsha. So many good options. Uh, and we decided to uh, start at the beginning, a very good place to start. Um, we're only, right, Rabbi Schatz? Only going to look at this very first verse. What a concept. Ela Hadvarim Asher Diber Moshe El Kol Bnei Yisrael. These are the words, translated as words, but, you know, you, you can... It, the, the Hebrew word davar, I mean, you, you might know that from uh, a couple of other contexts, but we'll go with words. That Moses spoke to all of Israel, but ever on the other side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arava, Mulsuf, near Suf, across from Mol, Suf. Mulsuf. Mulsuf. Ben Paran uvein Tofel vilavan vechatzerot vidday zahav. Between Paran and Tofel and Lavan and Chatzerot and this alleged place known as Di Zahav. Are you tell us a little bit more about the rest of the Parsha? I think you did a great job. I mean, <laughs> a little more than so, I mean, you don't read the whole book, Rabbi Shaz. What do you What do you want? What do you want from me? You want so, to, I think one of the other elements of this parsha that at least I found very interesting that I tried to that I that I tried to convey my excitement around with Rabbi Shapiro, but it didn't it didn't work. Um, was that there is there is something very interesting about Moshe starting to retell this story knowing that he's not going to go into the land. And we see certain verses that kind of prepare the people, but also Moshe preparing himself to recognize that he's not going to go into the land with them, but they're going to go into the land themselves. And one of the pieces about, um, one of the pieces about the, uh, the kind of role of leadership for Moshe here is that, he gets to see that even though his leadership has not been perfect and has not been all rainbows and butterflies, as they say in the Torah, um, he is able to see that it was strong and that it created a people. And that people is going to are going to go into the land together in strength and in uh, numbers and also knowing who they are as a community. And that's 
to me, a very powerful piece of leadership in general, but also how Moshe transitions out of leader of a people to a people leading themselves into the land. Um, it's verse 10, if anybody's interested, that I thought. I, was... Anyway, so that's the other piece that I would have brought up. Okay, go ahead. It's over to you. You're, now it's your part. I remember. Oh, you're not saying anything else. Okay. I mean, um, I, I have lots more I can say, but I want to see if, if folks have questions on it. I'm, I want to see where it goes from here. Okay. We are clearly. I'm going to be patient because there's a first time for everything. All right. So, um, Kushio, anybody have any questions on this one verse of Torah um, to begin this book? Yeah, Denise. What are the words? So, um, is it an intentional play on words to have divarim, which could also be dibar, like words and things or this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it seems like a pun kind of, but I just wonder if that was intentional. Yeah, yeah. I don't, um, I definitely don't know if it's intentional. Um, I, I, I mean, let me put it this way. It is definitely intentional. I don't know that it was a play on words, right? I know that it is intentional to have that double meaning. And I don't know if it's, um, if it was meant to be that, that people would, would like read into that. But how exciting it is that it does mean those two things. And it means here are the things that Moshe says. And also here are the, the words, here are the tellings that Moshe told, um, because it's both. It's, it's both uh, experiences and it's also actual words and rules and laws and all those kinds of things. I'll, I'll call out the question that Tal just put in the chat for those who can't or haven't seen it. Tal, Tal's asking, are the locations specifically noted for any reason? You know, going back to something that we've, we've had a kind of a, a refrain in this class, right? There is no verse, phrase, word, letter in the Torah by accident, right? So of course, of course, the locations are noted for a reason. The question is, of course, then, well, what what's the reason, right? Uh, it's not necessarily obvious. Um, and and I found uh, one or two pieces, and I'm, I'm happy to speak to that after harvesting some more kushiot. Um, and Denise, going back to your question, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a deceptively simple and complicated question. Well, what, what are these words? And, and to put a finer point on it, who's, has Moses been speaking the whole time, right? Is that, is the Torah God's words as filtered through Moses? Is this different than what was before? How can it be different? Isn't it just supposed to be the revelation of God as filtered through Moshe, right? Like it, it does seem to be differentiating in a meaningful way. And so what are the ramifications of that for what's to follow, right? That's, that's a, actually a really big question. Um, and, and, there are verse specific pieces to that. And it's, it's a big question in terms of all of the book of Farim. Um, and just one, one quick note, referring back to something Rabbi Shat said before going to the other hands that are up. Um, if you're thinking documentary hypothesis, there are actually those who will categorize Dvarim and Yehoshua and Shoftim and maybe even Shmuel as more of a coherent unit than the five books of Moses, as we call them, right? So it's it's just interesting to note the different ways in which this book um, lays groundwork for those books or for, you know, uh, as Rabbi Schatz was saying, something like even even a larger Midrashic project on the whole Torah itself. So there's there's a lot in that that deceptively simple question that you that you asked Denise, um, Joanna. There seems to be. Um at least either this verse or more of Javarim, that is a later insert, right? Because the phrase Be'evra Hayardain seems out of place because it makes it that at least this sentence was written from the perspective of already being in Israel. And these are the words that Moses said when he was across the Jordan on the other side. So 
what is that all about? And, you know, does that indicate the later authorship and and what is happening there with that phrase, but Ava, how your day? Right. Right. It, it's a bit of a weird time capsule thing. Right. These are the words that Moses said on the other side of the river. Well, then that implies we're now on the other side of the river. Right. Renee, you may have already said it, but what are the words that he addressed the people to begin right. with? And are they different than the words that he might have said on the other side? Not on this side of the Jordan, but the other side where he came from? Great. I have a lot on this. Um, it, interestingly, it wasn't my initial question, actually, about this verse, but it is what I found the most interesting commentaries on. Um, uh, so, yes, we will get to that. It's a great question. I, um, on Shabbat, I'm going to be talking about what he's, what Moshe says a few verses later in verse 5, when he says, Zotah Torah, right? These are the words in Zotah Torah. So, is it the Torah? What does Zotah Torah mean? What are these words? Is it making up that Torah? So, so we'll see in a second what, and it goes back to this same question that Denise asked. Was it Denise? I think who asked in terms of, um, is it a play on words for Dvarim and Diber, right? Is it just, is it that the sayings are different than the experiences? Does that mean rules? Does that mean places? So we'll get to that a little bit more. Uh, Nancy and then Karen. Um, well, it feels like we've been dropped into the middle of something because yeah. they say, these are the words, and then there are no words. It's all places, places, places. And even if I sneak a peek at the next verse down yeah. there, it's more places, places, places. Right, right. So I would expect if these are the words that Moses addressed, now I really need to hear something important. Great. And it's just like, <laughs> and where is it? And, you know, why all of this, uh, I don't know, travelogue? Yeah, <clears throat> it's interesting. I was reading um, a sermon for someone last night. I was I was helping them edit their sermon. And one of the things that I mentioned was that it just, the sermon just started and it felt very, given this particular start, this particular introduction, it, there, it needed something beforehand. And I think that's what you're also noticing here is that it just starts, but then it almost goes backwards, right? It then tells us all these places and when it happened, but, but what did he say, right? So there's that that bizarre hook there that makes us want to know what it is that he's saying, but then we don't get to those words for quite a few more verses later. So um, if Rabbi Shapiro wants to just scroll down a little bit, we can see where it starts. Um, I don't want to scroll down. What if I like this? Okay, just keep scrolling. Where am I going? Down. Um, wait, stop. Freeze. Freeze. You can't go that fast. Go up a little bit. So you see that it kind of starts to come about in verse three, and then, and then it again it talks about all these places that are and people who are being defeated, and then it kind of starts up again here at verse five and continues. So we get background, and then again with that part, the Hatorah Hazot part, um, we're going to see that th that this is where it starts to become a story and a retelling. But yes, we want to know yeah. what those words are immediately. I, I would say it really starts in verse six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, right? like, he said, and then it continues. Right. So, yeah. right. That's verse five. Verse five is, and now here you go. I mean, I think the flip side to that is you're, for a big speech, there's always going to be some, some preamble, right? Like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, monkeys of all ages, right? Like whatever it is, you generally don't go right into a speech. I'd, I'd be very curious what happened with the rest of that speech. Um, but yeah, there's usually some preamble. And I agree that, you know, here's what I'm going to say. Well, and here we are and we're here and we're there and we're everywhere. You know, it, it, it's a bit. Uh, okay, Karen. Why do we have to have a retelling? Yeah, great question. Um, oh, I just muted you. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I was trying to move you. Um, yeah, great question. It's wh why is it important? And, and is that what this was meant to be? Is the other part of that question, right? We see it as a retelling because we read it at the end and then go back to the beginning. 
could this have been, and I, I've never heard that anybody has said this, but could this have been what you were supposed to read before you started the Torah? Right. So like kind of in a different cycle, meaning that you would have the like the the prologue before you actually get to to the actual story. You would have the summary beforehand. Robert Shapiro is making a face of me, but I actually think there is there's reason to think that someone might think that. Right. That that you are getting you are getting the introduction the, or the preface. The preface. Exactly. The preface. That's the word I was in first. Yeah. Not the prologue. Yeah. The preface to something so that you kind of know what's about to come as opposed to at the end of us just reading all of it to know what happens again. Um, that's not how anybody does it. And I've never, again, read that anybody says that it was written to be done that way. But because of your question, I think that's that's another way of looking at it. Um, He's to- smiling. Robert Shapiro, yeah, he doesn't agree, but that's okay because we can disagree and I can be right, so that's fine. Um, You're definitely not right. I mean, maybe you could try it, but I, I have a hard time believing that you try would. what? I'm not trying anything. I'm just saying that I think there is reason to believe that people might. You think say, you could read the Book of Dvarim without any context and have it make sense? Then going into the Torah. Yeah. It, okay. I mean, it doesn't tell you the whole Torah, right? So just like if you were to read a preface before a book, it's not going to tell you about every character and every moment in the book before you start reading it, but it gives you a sense of kind of how things, how things go. And then you start reading the details that come after. And that's the novel. Again, I'm not saying I'm going to do it. I just, I think there, there is reason to believe it could be done. It'd be interesting. I love when Rabbi Shapiro makes these faces because it makes me believe that I for sure have something here. <laughs> There's no way that would work, but I'm glad you think so. Um, to just throw out like another kushia and a half and then Rabbi Schatz can continue expounding wild nonsensical theories or we can actually get into some teaching. Not a theory. There's no um, theory here. <laughs> one, one piece that I'll name is you know, we, we've heard that Moses is hard of speech, right? That, that he, or that he's uncircumcised of lips, right? That's been a theme that popped up here and there. And it's just a completely different construct here than the rest of the Torah, right? Most of the Torah is Vaida Ber Adonai, Amosheli, Mor, Daber, right? God said to Moses, saying, speak to B'nai Israel and say this, whereas here it's actually Moses's speech, Right. So it's it's it is foregrounding that this is a very different um, type of thing. Right. That it's that it's a different way in which things will be offered over the course of the rest of this book. I do think there is something to say um, whether this is a retelling or a different genre. Right. There are those who talk about this as Moses like farewell to the people. It's his extended, you know, sort of charge to them heading into the land. I think it makes more sense in the context of a later reframing of the Torah. You know, you folks have heard me comment often at thinking about like Judaism as a tapestry that gets woven. And I do think, you know, go, going back to what Rabbi Schatz was saying in terms of whether it's Midrash or a reframing, um, you know, that this is, you know, another layer that gets, um, offered up, whether that's from Moses historically or later on historically. Um, and just the other thing I'll say is the word um, midbar is interesting here. And I saw something on that that I, m- I might or might not cite, but um, it seems like they're they're on the riverbanks, right? So it's interesting that the word midbar is popping up here when it seems like Dafka, they're actually finally just about out of the wilderness and about to, to cross over the river. So, Denise. So midbar seems also like a play on those same words because it could also be midaber without the dot. Sorry, say that again. So, like, there's a plan made bar between um, on words between Devarim and Dibarim, but there's also midbar because uh-huh, uh-huh. it's like midaber. Nice. So it's like very meta. Yeah, Moses offered these word things in the wilderness place of wordiness. Yeah, as it were. Yeah, I like that. 
Rabbi Shot, you're you're on a roll this morning. So do you want to? Why am I on a roll? Because I had you're, an idea. You're coming up with brand new theories of Torah. Oh, it's it's God calling Rabbi Shots to say, Rabbi Shots, you're right. Everyone in all of history has read Dvarim wrong, and you're the first person to really get it. That would be really surprising because that's not what I said. So, but. Um, no, that was Rana Sunday, who is also sometimes known to people as God. Um, okay. I, I I wouldn't want Rana to smite me. That is for sure. Um, no, I think you, I mean, I'm happy to go first if you would like, but you seemed excited about the things that you found. So I'm happy to kind of like tag along to those things. Totally up, up to you. Sure. I'll, I'll maybe speak to um, Holly's question about the the place names um and i'll i'll see your place names and i'll raise you potentially fictional place names um because some of these names can pretty clearly be like lined up with different um locations over the course of the narrative that we've read over the past four books which is important to read because it gives context for the book of dvarim which is why it doesn't make sense to start reading the book of dvarim before you've read the rest of the torah um despite what rabbi shots would have you believe um and there are also some place names that don't that that we haven't seen before which seems to make this make even less sense because if the whole context being given here is that right here is where we are here's where we've been and now here's the sermon i'm about to give you um it seems quite odd that there are place names being given that that we've never read before um and there's there are there are two ways of reading that that i think are interesting locally in terms of telling us what these places might be but i think are are also interesting in terms of the meta functioning of what it says about how, how we actually like read the Torah and understand what it's communicating to us. So these place names, particularly Tofel and Lavan, um, we haven't seen them. They, they like haven't popped up uh, elsewhere in the Torah. And, and so interestingly, you, when we talked last week, the way in which I wasn't, Moses. Yeah, I wasn't here. I, so I don't know. I, I know. I'm not always only talking to you. The way that Moses um, goes about uh, recounting the different locations, he names them. I also talked about this in my sermon. He names them according to how he experienced them, not based on what they were actually called. Um, So in terms of seeing names that are different than they might have been in the earlier books of Torah, I don't know what the commentary is about to say that you're going to share, but it could be either that they were actually different locations or it could be that they were called different things based on Moshe's recounting, which is another right. piece of like this Midrash theory. Right. So a little of column A and a little of column B. So um, even Ezra, who is more of, of I would say, a, a literalist oftentimes in his understanding of the Torah has a very shot understanding of why we have place names that don't seem to line up with anything. He just says they might've been mentioned under other names, right? Dif- different. You have different names for the same place, right? LA, Los Angeles, city of angels, uh, right? You can, you can call the same place, right? Chicago, second city, windy city, shy town, the Chicagoland area, right? You you can call you can call the same place by different names, so not a big deal, right? It's it's just called by different names, and that's it. Rashi goes in a much more midrashic direction. He has a few different pieces on this. There's a, there's another place name that I'm that I I saw some very fun stuff on, but I'll stick with these two for now. Rashi says we have found no place the name of which is either Tofel or Lavan. But the meaning of this, and this Rabbi Shatz goes to your comment on like Moses's experience or reading like midrashically into what the place names are. Um, this is the place where God, uh, where Moses rather uh, reproved them because of the of the of the tefel of the the translation I have is calumnious statements, basically the. The, the gossip, the negative words, the, the problematic way in which they were talking about the manna, which was lavan in color, right? So 
what is Tofail and Lavan? What are those two places? It's referring to the place where they spoke Tefel about that which was white, where they spoke badly about the mana. Now, is that the shot of those two names? No. Obviously, oh, Rabbi Shots, you are popular. I'm going to mute you. So we, oh, there we go. Oh, I got to mute Rabbi Shots. Um, is it the shot that Tefel and Lavan are referring to the place where they spoke poorly about the manna? Probably not. And it goes into this idea of, you know, how, how do we read Torah? And it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be, it can be some of both. You can read it more literally and just say, oh, that's not a place name we've seen before. It's probably just referred to by a different name here. Or you can read it as, huh, okay, I'm not familiar with that place name. What are the word associations I have with this? What might some other synonyms be? What might be an incident along the way that this place name could be referring to, even if it's not a different geographic place? So I just think it's interesting how those same place names that don't quite line up can be referring to something a little more midrashic or allegorical in terms of the narrative that that we've had to this point. I think that's interesting. Nancy doesn't like it at all. Nancy's shaking her head at Nancy. Sh- Nancy's shaking her head at me like I just got a D minus in social studies or something. Yeah, Denise. So I've heard this idea in other places that like that the Torah will go out of its way to say something in the least harsh way possible, or like to you know to not want to be disparaging if it doesn't have to be and stuff like that. So maybe. Um, maybe if they were, if they wanted to reference when the people were complaining about the man and stuff like that, <clears throat> then it would make sense to give it like a euphemistic name <clears throat> rather than outright saying the place where they complained about the man. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that as well. I think there are some places in the Torah where that works and some places where hmm, I'm not quite sure it does. Um you mean, because, yeah, like, that, some places the Torah is really harsh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, the, like, the curses, for example, yeah. are not, like, a particularly nice set of psukim. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think within that as well is embedded the question of trying to understand things a little more metaphorically, right? Why would it say X when it would be much more straightforward if it said Y? Right. And, and, and trying to grapple with this idea of why the Torah frames things the way it does. And we can have more shot readings of it again, like even as we're saying, ah, it's just different place names or that there's a deeper meaning to it, which Denise, to your point, I think lines up with that as well, that the Torah is written in such a way that it can really be read without being too harsh. Um, You know, there, there's an implied value in that as well in terms of how, a religious text should be communicating a message, you know? And so, so I think that that is also, you know, just a more metaphorical framework to be working with. There's a, there's a pedagogical point underneath that, right? I'm pausing. Um, there's another place name that I found fun stuff with uh, along these lines that is definitely more Midrashic um, because this, there's also this one at the end um, that says D Zahav, which also does not seem to be a place like that. Like we haven't seen that previously in the narrative. Um, and I found, well, really two, we, we can still go with the Ibn Ezra idea of like, well, it's maybe it's just a, a different place with a, a same a place that we've read before with the same name. Um, but I found two pretty metaphorical readings of it. One of which is, um, and I found both of these in Urbanu Bafia specifically, although I, I saw this first reading in a couple of different places, that D Zahav, you can also read it as like die, which means enough, right? Or, or you know, like, like, plant, like think Dainu. Rabbi Schatz, oof, look at that face from Rabbi Schatz. Usually Rabbi Schatz likes it when I sing, but she's not amused right now. Um, right, Dainu, it would have been enough for us. So Dai Zahav, enough gold, 
when in the Torah narrative did we have enough gold, maybe too much gold? For- oh, with the calf. Hey, Denise, ringing in. Sorry, your answer needed to be phrased in the form. <laughs> what is the golden calf mm-hmm. is, is what we were looking Uh Yeah. So, so there's a way of understanding it such that we're, we're talking about the incident with the golden calf, which Denise also potentially goes to your idea of the Taurus trying to say things in a nice way, but also trying to understand, okay, we haven't seen this place. What might this be referring to? These are how, oh, must be the golden calf. You know, I'll, I'll add as well, it, it makes sense if we think historically too, to think about, well, maybe if this bit was written a bit later, either because it's intentionally situating it in different places in terms of what these places meant to the people reading at that time, or just, you know, these were places that folks knew about in that time. Maybe that's why those places are there. But um, for my money, I like the the metaphorical reading in terms of trying to understand um, what that might be. And here's one that's definitely a little more out there uh, that I know Rabbi Schatz will love since we're definitely on the same page this morning. Um, out of Dvarim Raba, so so hang with me on this. So the D, so it's Vav and Dalad and Yud, Gematria time. Who's ready? Who's ready for some Gematria? I know Rabbi Schatz is. I also oh, brought Renee. a piece. I also brought a piece from Dvarim Raba, but I don't think. Oh, it's fun. is it? Is it my Gematria super fun playtime? Nope. Nope. Okay. Renee, Renee's ready for some gematria. We're, oh, we're doing like now the game show section of our program. This is fun. Renee, what, how much is Vav? Six. Correct. What is six is what we're going for. Um, what is a number six that you know of in the Torah? The first number of 613 meets about. Uh, true. That's more 600. Um, so it, it, it's 600, but there is a six and 600. That's true. Um, so this, oh, Karen. Yes. Six days of work and then a rest. Ooh, we're going to, we're going to give half credit on that. Um, the, the, um, this is just the author. It's not me. Yes. And six you days of work. think that you're being graded by Nancy? <laughs> I'm probably being graded by Nancy and I Thank can. Thank you. Thank you. They'll grade you as well. Um, I'm going to give I'm going to give half credit for that based on what this author said. You are correct. Six days of work, six days of creation. Right. So this author sees it as referring to the six days of creation. I'm going to just just take the so and what's Dalit? Dalit is Dalit four. So this author says that four refers to the directions of the world. Okay, hang with me on this. And how much is Yud? Rabbi Schatz, come on. You're, you're, you're taking away my game show here. I'm helping. Like, it's like phone a friend. We're doing like a third Jeopardy. I'm the friend. A third phone a friend and a third uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Uh, remember, Rabbi Schatz, did you ever watch Legends of the Hidden Temple? No. What? It's like okay. the best. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Tommy knows what I'm talking about. Great show. It's on Great. Nick. It was like Olmec, this talking head, and they had to go through his obstacle course and try to assemble the the, the monkey statue. They like never did. There were temple guards that came out and attacked them. It was great. Um, Yud is 10. 10 are the 10. Commandments. 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 Very good. These are also deep broke. Oh, very good. Excellent, Denise. We're, Denise is rocking and rolling with the Dalad Bet Rish this morning. And plagues. Um, and plagues. And, and plagues. So this author says, from Tvarim Rabbah, he says this vada, Vadi is an acrostic of six days of creation, four directions of the globe, and the Ten Commandments. And then he says... Moses meant, so again, reading this place name extremely metaphorically with a hearty helping of Gematria, Moses says, Moses meant that if B'nai Israel's attention had been focused on those three subjects, creation of the world, worldly endeavors, and the Ten Commandments, they would not have been guilty of any misdemeanor. They would have been as pure as gold. 
So the 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 message underneath that somewhat of a stretch of gematria uh, lining up with different uh, ideas is this this concept from my perspective of staying focused on what's important to stay focused on, right? That that there are things that distract us. There are things that um, pull our attention away from what we might be focusing on and um, that there's something to trying to pay attention to what, what we should really be paying attention to. Again, a metaphorical read probably on top of a metaphorical construct in terms of what these place names are. Um, but, but I thought it was, I thought it was a fun one to play around with a little bit. Uh, and we got to have a little bit of a, a partial game show this morning, which from my perspective is always a plot. Rabbi Shad, do you want to hop over to your Dvarim? Sure. Rabba, your big, your big Sure, Dvarim? it has nothing to do with this though. So is that okay with you? That's okay. Okay. So, um, oh, let me, I'll share my screen. Hold on. Um, okay. So this, as I said, I think to Renee, um, one of the pieces of this verse that I actually was not as interested in until I started reading commentaries was just this idea of the, the first words, these are the tellings or these are the words, but it became very interesting to me as I saw what other people had to say about it. So, which is a lovely way to, to learn. Um, so, um, we're just going to read a little bit of this, but it says, is a Jewish person permitted to write a Torah scroll in any language? Does anybody know the answer to that, to this? Like gut instinct. I feel like it's no, because if it's another language, it's not a Torah scroll. Okay, great. So hold on. This is what the sages taught. The only difference between scrolls and to fill in our mezuzot is that scrolls may be written in any language. Really interesting, Right. Rabban Gamliel says, one is not even permitted for scrolls unless they are written in Greek. That, that takes us back to a time where Greek was the lingua franca, right? Was the, was the language that people understood, um, just like we speak English uh, predominantly. What is in this class? What is Rabban Gamliel's reasoning that one, it is permissible to write a, that one is permissible, that was a typo, to write a scroll in Greek? This is how our rabbis taught. Bar Kapara said, it is written, may God extend Yefet, may he dwell in the tents of Shem. Okay, that the words of Shem may be spoken in the language of Yefet. Therefore, it is permitted that they be written in the Greek language. Basically saying, if you're going to put another people in the same dwelling as another people, that those, that, that the place where you are living, you need to be able to, uh, to, to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Assimilate to be able to be understood, right? That you need to be able to understand that which you're reading, that which you're learning, that which you are saying. The Holy Blessed One said, see how the language of the Torah is so dear that it heals the tongue, so if you read Torah, there's also a lot of Midrash around Moshe was able to do all of this speaking after having such a terrible speech impediment, because as soon as he spoke words of Torah, he was able to speak very clearly and very articulately. Okay, um, from where do we know this? Since it is written, a healing tongue is a tree of life, and the tree of life refers to the Torah based on a time here, which you all know, the language of the Torah makes the And tongue. all of its supporters are it. happy. Very good. Um, it was lovely to have little singing excerpts. So one of the things that I found very- You missed me so much last um, week. You missed me so much I did. last week. I, I, that's true. I did miss you last week. Um, what? So one of the things that I find very compelling about this is that- the, what what we're basically getting at in this in this midrash is that Moshe is is retelling his Torah, right? These are the words of Moshe, Elahadvarim. So these are the words, right? These it doesn't say these are his words, but these are the words, and the rabbis are expounding upon that by saying these are the words that he spoke, and that goes back to the way that I started off the class by saying. Maybe, according to Micha Goodman, maybe this it really is the first version of Midrash because Moshe is expounding upon experience in, through his own words, through these words. And the reason that we call them Torah is because they are words that become teaching, that become learning, and therefore are part of 
of Torah. Yeah, Denise. Okay, it's more of a vibe swirl. I'm not sure I can make sense of it as a question. But several years ago on Shabbat afternoon, Rabbi Lucas taught Devarim. Okay. And at the very end of it, it's the last commandment, I think, is to write a Torah scroll. Mm-hmm. And he did this whole thing that it doesn't just mean literally commission a $40,000 project, right? but it means make it your own and write your story. Yeah. And so then, so then it just seems interesting that it starts off with like Moshe doing that, yeah. making it his story. And then it's okay that there's like different words somewhere and stuff like that. It's very sweet that Rabbi Lucas taught that because I, I taught that right before I actually came to Bethlehem because we were just finishing a Torah in Northern California. So I taught that exact same, um, same uh, mitzvah in class, which I had no idea he had also taught. There's there, the last mitzvah, the 613 mitzvot, is that you are to write your own Torah. And as Denise just shared, as she learned from Rabbi Lucas, there are many ways that you can understand that. It could be that you physically take the hand of the sofer and you write a letter in the Torah. You've now written your own Torah. It can also be, and more of the time, this is how we think of things, <clears throat> that when you write down your history, when you when you write drashot, when you teach Torah, when you learn Torah, when you take notes on Torah, you are in a way writing your writing Torah, right? Writing your own Torah. Because it's not just that you're supposed to write the Torah, it's supposed to be that you write your own Torah, which is why a sofer takes on that mitzvah, because they are writing Torah, they are writing their own Torah. And but not everybody has the skill to be able to write their own Torah with, you know, the ink and the mikvah and all the whole rigmarole. So you you figure out how to write your own Torah. And and that's where kind of all the drashot around that come into play. I have another few pieces on Eilid Hadvarim. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts on this before I go to another one? Anything on um, this Midrash? Ravish Priya, was that you? I, I had like a step and a half back on this because I think it's interesting to reflect on it two different ways, but I've been talking more than you. So no, you can go ahead. That's fine. I don't want to rob you of the, I don't want to rob you of the tour that you have to write Rabbi Shams. I spoke all by myself last week. You can say something. What would you like to say? You concluded your Torah last week. Just start talking. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think it's, P- particularly ironic that in Devarim, we are told late, much later on in the book, but we are told that the words of the Torah, you shouldn't take away from them and you shouldn't add to them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this yeah. very interesting idea that in a book that is easily understood, at least on its face as like an addendum to what came before, yeah. we are also told don't add to the Torah, which mm-hmm. seems to also we talk about Karaites a lot in this class, Rabbi Shatz, um, right? That for the most part, as we said over and over, we are rabbinic Jews. We are not Torah Jews. We understand Judaism through the normative lens of rabbinic interpretation, even though in the Torah, it says very clearly, don't add to the Torah. So there's this mm-hmm. idea that the Torah that we practice expands beyond the written Torah, but not really. It's sort of in there anyway. And just normative interpretation was in there all along, which is... Mm-hmm you know, an interesting concept. So in this as well, at the beginning of Dvarim, I saw a couple of different comments about, well, how can it be that Moses is just like going off and doing his own thing that that shouldn't be kosher, as it were. Mm. Um, And so it's interesting to see how people grapple with that. Um, And the Torah HaRoch has a a long piece where I'll just distill it down to one sentence, he is much more on it, but he says the only new aspect of these commandments was that now they were spelled out to the people. Right. Right. It was in there all along. It's not actually new. Moses is just making it more explicit, right? A more little C conservative stance is that it's, it's nothing new. There's nothing being added. They were in there all along. And Moses is just offering up pieces that even though you're going to be seeing new commandments in Dvarim, they're not, they're not new. You could have understood them as having been in there all along, Yeah, which I don't necessarily agree with, but is, you know, 
de- deserves its day in court, as it were. Um, I-, I think it makes much more sense, as we've cited a couple of different times, this idea that it's it's sort of like Midrash 1, right? Mid- Midrash 1-1. One, one. Um, but still from a, a relatively traditional perspective, that's a bit tough to reconcile. And so I found this interesting piece from the Sfat Emet where he sort of like, I think kind of elegantly finds a way to um, uh, to, to like marry the two understandings. So here I'll actually, it, it's, even though it's a brief piece, it's Chassiduti. So it um, might be easier to read as well as um, here, because even though, as I was learning while I was on a bit of a break, there is no such thing as a visual learner. Um, right. Rabbi Schatz, that, uh, no, it's good not as, right. That's what I what I was reading. No from random guy. No, he cited numerous studies. There's no such thing as a visual learner. We all learn better when there are multiple modalities, such as both. Correct, but that doesn't learning. mean that there's no such thing as a visual learner. It also means that everyone benefits from multiple modalities, which is what I'm doing now. So <laughs> Svant Emet says, "Learning uh, visual." The- Rabbi Schatz is correct. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that she's necessarily a visual learner. The Book of Dvarim is the aspect of Torah. Yes, Shadel, it Hedy, means oral, that. Yes, Torah. it means that. Excuse me. Sure. <laughs> Through the Torah, Moshe's speech impediment was healed. So this gets a little bit to the Midrash Rabbi Shatzwa citing. And at the end of his life, his words became words of Torah. So it, it's a really beautiful image that that through speaking to, right through the experience of offering Torah, Moses then was able to heal, which is a really lovely way of thinking about what Torah can offer. And then the Sfat Emet extrapolates this out to all of us, that Torah Shabel Pet, oral Torah, is the power to create Torah through toiling in its study. When we learn Torah, we're creating Torah Shabel Pet. And so, and one of the things I love about this Fat Emet, which is not true of all Hasidic teachers, is his really democratic understanding of who can access this. And so he concludes by saying, every Jew has this power, which was given to the Jewish people at Har Sinai at, when, when Torah was revealed. This idea you, that... Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, sure. I was going to say, did you find this for this verse, this, this commentary on this verse? Because this um, commentary I found on the verse that I'm speaking on on Shabbat because of that idea of Hatorah Hazot, right? That that was the first time that the idea of oral Torah even came to be because yeah, yeah. of the fact that Moshe was speaking out this Torah, and therefore that must be where the idea of an oral Torah even came from. Yeah, I pulled this more in a general framework for understanding Varim, less specifically. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. Um, but we were we were talking about like this. It, it seemed relevant to the idea you were raising. So no, I, no, no, it totally is. I just wondered if I wondered if that commentary was also seen elsewhere, if I was, or if it had been found in the same place. Because I think it's it. Yeah. Anyway, it it's a general like the the five verses probably could be very clumped together, and so the the fact that this commentary comes up, whether it's on verse one or verse five, I just was curious how how you came came to it. Um, the other piece that I found very interesting that doesn't have to do with Eli Hadvarim, but does have to do with, um, Al-Kol Israel. Um, one commentary I found, I thought was really funny as a, um, as a, as a person who went to camp my whole life, that it said, Chizkuni says to all the Israelites, and this means that Moshe's voice was powerful enough to be heard throughout the camp without megaphones. Well, he did, they didn't have megaphones back then. Um, but I just thought it was really funny. Or did they? No, they didn't. It just, it's just or, funny, or did they? It's just such a funny concept okay. that his Cooney really wanted to make sure that we knew that Moshe was very good at articulation and very good the at... Golden, a, the at golden megaphone of Moses. At projection. I just think that's hysterical. Um, but I do think that that this piece here... The reason the Torah had to stress that Moshe spoke to all of Israel was twofold. Moshe reviewed the Torah and he admonished them concerning things that they had already been guilty of. Okay? I don't, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, mostly based on time. But it's interesting to know that just like any, I think, good student would do, right? 
you you go over something before you're going to teach it, right? Or before before you're going to take a test on it or, you know, any anytime that you are looking to to show any kind of knowledge of information, you review it first. And then you, and this goes against my, um, my statement of potentially reading Devarim first, right? This idea that you actually need everything beforehand because Moshe needed to review it in order to create this, you know, first midrash of sorts, this uh, Deuteronomical uh, telling of, of the Torah afterwards. But also as a parent or as a leader, Moshe needed to make sure that he knew what the people had to, had to know, right? Had to know in terms of what they had done wrong and what they needed to fix before they went into the land without him. And so I think it's interesting that this, um, that this, the Orachim, that, that what the Orachim is doing here is basically saying Moshe needed to bring everybody together so that they could all hear the Torah, but they also could all know the different things that each one of them individually or as a community had done to then be able to go into the next stage of their communal life successfully. So I just, um, I thought that was a very beautiful way of thinking about the the individual in the communal, um, which I also really like in the moment that the Torah is given. But this, this recalling for Moshe of how to how to really set them up for the success of the next part of their journey I found very compelling um Rabbi Shabiram, do you have any last words beautifully wrapped up I didn't really wrap it up but do I, do you have a wrap up no no you- we talked about a lot of different things <laughs> Okay. Right. We did. Um, I don't know. I can't frame it. I can't. Okay. Uh, I I hope I hope that you are that you're able to really read through this book. One of the things I love about Devarim is that when you read different parts of the book, you're able to think back to a parsha or a moment in the Torah where that already happened that you're able to recall back to. Um, and especially because we're doing this class, it's a very interesting thing to be able to think about, oh yeah, we talked about this, or that was in a parsha that I remember we talked about something else, but obviously that's where it came up. Um, and also to see the differences. You'll see differences in retellings and you'll see differences in, um, in explicit moments that you know very well uh that will that will have different rules to them or different wording and and why is that significant because we know that everything that went into the torah was significant so uh why was it why was it inserted there if if it wasn't um if it if it was meant to be different why did we have it different in in both places so hopefully devarin will be a very interesting read for us for the next few weeks and uh, that's it. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.